Warning, this podcast contains heavy spoilers for not just one movie, but entire franchises. We highly recommend going and watching these movies before listening to us as a companion piece that stitches all the timelines into one creepy, crime-ridden story. There will be no more spoiler warnings. We do not break character. After this, there is no turning back. You've been warned. Hit the music. <laughs> you are talking about the nonsensical ravings of a lunatic mind. It's alive! It's alive! It's alive! So a woman goes to her doctor. Doctor, she says, I'm worried about my husband. He started doing this whole Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde thing. I've tried talking to him about it, but he won't listen. When he's normal, he denies there's a problem. When he's being Mr. Hyde, well, you can imagine. There's just no talking to him at all. The doctor tells her to calm down. I've seen this a number of times, and the treatment is pretty simple. He'll have to start masturbating regularly. Masturbating? But doctor, what kind of answer is that? What the hell, what does that answer have to do with my husband's problem, the wife asks. Well, you see, the doctor replied. In these cases, I found that usually the patient just isn't feeling himself. Uh-huh. <laughs> Hello and welcome to It's Alive Alive podcast. This is a true crime paranormal interstellar podcast covering unbelievable stories that sound like they were ripped straight from the pages of a Hollywood script. I am your host, the man of many names, the outlaw Harley Ray, the bruiser Bronson, Dr. H or smoking scene THC or you can call me Josh for short. And with me as always is my very own scream queen, the perfect combination of beauty and brains, the brightest smoking scene, the India Hardy, expert of guts and gore, the gorgeous, the sexy Amy Rose. Hi. And this week, we're hopping into DeLorean for a trip back in time. That means one thing. It's an Amy episode. (laughs) (laughs) Being your resident historian, you're going to take the lead today and tell us all about the strange case of Dr. Henry Jekyll and the multiple personality disorder that turned him into the mischievous uh, Edward Hyde. Yeah. And before we get, because you you are manager history stuff. I am. Like, uh, I am the kind of true crime guy over here, and you just, every time it's your turn to do a story, it's straight on to how old <laughs> can we go? <laughs> Usually Victorian. Is the older the better. <laughs> but uh, I've been getting into history lately. Yeah. Specifically Irish history. Mm. And I listen to uh, the Irish history podcast yeah. nearly every day when I'm working. That's good And podcast. they're really interesting. The only problem I have, right, mm. is... I find it impossible. I've listened to this man's opening 20 episodes maybe a hundred times. Okay. And I can never remember the names of the people involved. And I had the same problem. Oh, yeah. Do you know when we yeah. started watching Game of Thrones? For the first three or four seasons, I had no idea who Blind one, the big one, that was small it. one. You know, <laughs> the guy on the wall. <laughs> you knew a handful, like, yeah. like starting to, But I'm having the same problem with this. Yeah, it's pretty easy to but remember. The problem is when it comes to their history podcast, is the timeline goes so quickly yeah. that by the time these people come up, within an episode or two, they're dead and we're on. I mean, like, I could, this guy could be talking about a guy at the start of one episode, and by the end of the episode, we're on to his great-great-grandfather's mm-hmm. son, and it's like, what? Wait, wait. I haven't learned everybody else's names yet. Go back. And that's, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you start hearing names popping up over and over and over and over again. But they're, they, it's like the second or the third generation of that part of the grandson of the original and... There were so many kingdoms, mm-hmm. and they're all fighting, and and it's it seems like 
like even when you were talking about Brian Brew, it sounded like he was just going up the country to fight a battle to find that there was a, it was like there was a fire started down at this other we go back down we've quenched that one oh no there's one at the north again we better go up there and it's like every time you turned your back they were taking they were rebelling and taking oh, yeah, back yeah. over their space yeah. and if they weren't then another king was coming and taking over or as the Vikings were coming in keeping them busy and the poor people who were constantly being taken over get the brunt of it mm-hmm. because when the likes of Brian Brew comes back down to reclaim his land he punishes them for allowing these people to take oh, over yeah. like you know yeah. it's like this is your fault you, you swore allegiance to me now you're bending the knee to this guy yeah. and holy fuck it seems like it was awful complicated back then oh definitely <laughs> it's like in Tudor England well one minute you're expected to be Catholic next minute you're Protestant next minute you're Catholic and oh. if you're not flip-flopping like that you're being burnt but that's it do you know and, yeah. and but again that's my other thing with the Christians it, you know, it, it is it's always been to whoever it suited the best or was convenient to. You know, yeah, the man-made yeah. issue that we yeah. keep bringing up about it, like yeah, you know, yeah. that it was whoever it helped. Then, then they'd use it, you yeah. know, and that's what it became. But <clears throat> back to like the history side of things, yeah, I, I do enjoy listening to them. I do just struggle with names and stuff like that, especially I, with as you say with Irish history, it is fierce. But you know me, it's going to be Irish history or it's going to be Viking history, mm-hmm. and in which case the names get no fucking easier. <laughs> it's just sun is added to the end of everything. Do you not think it's a tiny bit easier? Because it's like it's like Irish names repeat more. I but find the problem, but that was the same problem with the the it's the saga thing I listened to yeah. for for that. There these two um from what I can tell they're um history teachers in a college or something, but they right. they um they go through like a different saga saga Icelandic mm. saga every week. Okay, I haven't listened to it in a while now, but. The stories are really cool. Yeah. Do you know, they're really proper mythic little fucking you know, cool stories to listen yeah. to. But the names, do they, there is repetitive names there again. There's a lot of Ragnars and there's a mm. lot of fucking Thorsons and there's a lot of fucking, you know, yeah. this kind of stuff. Yeah. Like, you know, and they, they do get repeated because a lot of them be named after gods or, or high people in their own area yeah. or after their parents. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, that's their surname changes every generation to... Who? That's still yeah. in Iceland, isn't it? I'm not 100% sure, but it's the same way our surname started. Mm-hmm. I mean, O'Brien is from Brian. O'Sullivan mm-hmm. is from the Sullivan's, like, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's the same. Yeah. What's your name in Irish again? Uh, Neogarty. So, I'd be Amy Neogarty. Yeah, from basically yeah. the same thing, yeah. O'Fogarty, yeah. yeah. We, we actually, it wasn't that long ago, we dropped the O. Oh, yeah, because there is O'Fogarty's, isn't mm-hmm. there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just like yeah, there's Sullivan's and all Sullivan's. Sullivan's and all Sullivan's. Every, for every O name, there is a Those not O name. Those fucking Sullivan's. Huh? They think they're better than us saying their own timeline. You're from the same <laughs> bloodline as us. <laughs> oh, Christ. All right, do you want to start getting into this uh, story of Jekyll and Hyde? Because I know there's a few kind of different avenues you can go down with this. There is, there? and not just the multiple personality yeah, disorder yeah, avenue. Yeah. There, there's a few theories because, I, I mean... What we're about to tell is basically, it is kind of a story of, it may be a story of addiction, it, it may be a lot of things, basically. But it's set in Victorian era London, and it became sensationalized at the time. So before we go into the kind of the urban legend of it, you have to remember that Victorian London at the time was full of superstitions and urban legends, such as Sweeney Todd and spring Jack. So these urban legends would be strengthened by the publishing of Penny Dreadfuls. They were cheap, popular serial literature produced during the 19th century in the United Kingdom. The term typically referred to a story published in weekly parts of 8 to 16 pages, each costing one penny. The subject matter of the stories was typically sensational, focusing on the exploits of detectives, criminals, or supernatural entities. So just like comic books? Basically like comic books. It was very much aimed at young, that kind of 
young males, like, do you know, like yeah. the, the demographic. First published in the 1830s, the Penny Dreadful uh, fe- featured characters such as Dick Turpin, Varney the Vampire, and as I mentioned, Sweeney Todd and Springheel Jack. Wouldn't that be awesome? If Varney the Vampire, if Jim Varney got to be a vampire and he was still with us. Varney would be a funny vampire. <laughs> yeah, a funny vampire. I have an awful spot for him. For yeah. people who don't know Jim Varney, then you, you are unlucky enough to have not grown up with the best movies of the 90s. Oh, Beverly Hillbillies is my favourite. Oh, I, I forget he's in so much mm-hmm. more than Ernest. Like, I mean, he's a big part of Toy Story. He yep. was slinky. Yeah. Um, what else was he in? He's been, been in a pile. We I mean, saw him in something lately. I know we watched Ernest with the, with, the, with, the, with the boys, but we watched something lately. Ernest has always been the big one for me yeah. because we grew up on Ernest. Like, you know, we, 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 I found him hilarious in Ernest. And I, I was never mad about Ernest when I was younger, but now that we're watching them, I find them funny. Oh, they're, they're Ernest goes to camp. Ernest saves Christmas. Ernest goes to, Ernest goes to jail was one of my favourite. We watched that lately. We did, yeah. That, yeah, that was good, pretty yeah. funny. So Ernest Scared Stupid. That's the Halloween one. The Beverly Hillbillies. Ernest rides again. Ernest goes to school. Slam dunk Ernest. Then he does Toy Story. Ernest goes to Africa, which apparently has not aged well. (laughs) (laughs) Ernest in the army. Three ninjas. Um, What the fuck did we see him in then? That's 2001. I know we did we see, did see him Are we just thinking of Ernest Goes to jail, jail because he played the bad guy in that too when he was kind of serious? <laughs> that <could be> <laughs> <it>. <laughs> and that's just what we're thinking that's of. That's our serious turn. And he's one of my favourite um, Simpsons characters. Cooter. Who's Cooter? Do you remember the episode where they lose the host to the um, to the carnies? Oh, He's yeah. the bad carny. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, that's it. We, we, yeah, you are literally just thinking of him being the bad guy and Ernest goes to jail and being serious, and that's, that's why you see him as. He was a good bad guy. He wasn't bad, uh-huh. to be fair. I do. I know. I love it. Ernest and Pee Wee Herman were the two the American oh, kind of uh, comedy stars that I would ball up on. We lost a load this year, didn't we? Well, Jim Varney's been dead since 2000. Well, I'm on about Pee Wee. Well, since 2000. <laughs> Pee Wee died this year, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah Pee Wee died this year. Vanny died February 10, 2000. What was wrong with him? So living with the illness. Was it cancer? Oh, uh, yeah, lung yeah. cancer. He was a big smoker, which mm-hmm. is kind of obvious now when you listen to his voice. Yeah. <laughs> he it. did have a very specific rough, kind of gruff voice. Kind of rasp- you know? Not raspy, kind of what it was like. He had a frog in his throat sometimes. Married twice. Oh, I, I, I love this guy. He was just... Oh, Jim Varney, come back as a vampire <laughs> and entertain us again. Anyway, back anyway, to your Penny Dreadfuls. By the 1850s, there were up to 100 publishers of Penny Fiction. And in the 1860s and 1870s, more than a million boys' periodicals were sold per week. Before you say any more, for sp- more on Spring Hill Jack, check out Creepy Past the Crypt. I was just Aiden. about to say <laughs> it. <laughs> <laughs> that episode was really good. I enjoyed that episode. It's uh, back so- near the start. They were mass-produced popular culture for the young and basically the Victorian equivalent of video games. So when their parents be like screaming at them, get off those penny dreadfuls and go outside when I was your age. <laughs> Probably. You're going to turn your eyes I came with a stick and a rock. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> so the imagination of Victorians was often gripped by even the slightest whiff of the unexplainable or paranormal. Which would be way bigger back then because they couldn't explain a whole pile yet. Huge. And they didn't have great lighting at night. So, yeah, that would be kind of. But they would have had like, because I was only. I remember I was actually going to bring that up when mm. we were talking about the Irish history podcast mm. about how, like, you know, when those armies, like, that it was 
the summer was all their battling and then once it got, got to winter time there was nothing for them to do like you know they'd oh, be, like, yeah. literally sitting around the ring fort just waiting waiting for the, the summer to come or the spring to come again so they could go back exactly but um i would assume they would have had like the the street the, the candle street lights wouldn't they back in these days in yeah Victoria but i mean like if you, you think of our our lamps now like you know our street lamps if we go outside like yeah it's it, it's yeah. lit but like it's still dark like so oh, i mean if I you're know, just relying I mean, on the candles house, they would have had better candles because like again the irish history podcast we're talking oh, yeah. about the candies like if you were of some standing, you might have had a candle, but the candle stunk because yeah. it was animal fat, like yeah. you were burning and shit Tallow. like that. Whereas yeah. I would have assumed in Victorian times, well, again, I suppose it depends on how much money you have, isn't it? If you're still a fucking lower class person, you're still going to be getting the shit candles. But that's it. Yeah, There's actually a story that Queen Victoria, <laughs> uh, uh, she wanted, or no, the husband wanted to cut cost. And uh, so he ordered tallow candles instead. And they felt the 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 so the whole city would have stunk. No, it, it was just the the, the, the palace light. Oh, I thought you meant for the lights out and anything like that. No, no, no. So they ordered the tallow candles, and next thing they were like, he was like, "What is that smell?" And they were like, "Well, you ordered the tallow the tallow candles to, to cut costs." And he learned his lesson. Cheapskate. Yep. <laughs> okay, so on October eighteenth, eighteen eighty two, the police were called to a residence in Cavendish Square in London. On arriving, they were greeted by a distraught maid, Mary Riley, who is in the employment of one Dr. Hyde. According to the maid, she had been going to bed at about 11 when she saw through the window an elderly gentleman being clubbed and stomped to death. Holy shit. Mm -hmm. The assailant she recognized as a Mr. Hyde who had visited her employer and had kind of given her the creeps. I think she had seen him on maybe like one or two occasions. Mr. Hyde usually kept himself to himself yeah i read her book mm-hmm. and she must have uh embellished a little bit because according to her she was uh a bit flirty with her once or twice but obviously not no yeah okay good because i didn't research her very hard <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I glanced over her stuff if you ask me anything specific i'm gonna be lost <laughs> yeah i mean like there there's bits and pieces in her account i said like you said i don't think a whole lot of it is reliable but i mean like i think it's like I said, sensationalized. This story has been very sensationalized. Oh, well, all the time. Yeah. who doesn't know fucking Dr. Jekyll exactly. and Mr. Hyde? Looney Tunes have done Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And that was one of my favorite. When uh, uh, Tweety Bird would take the <laughs> drink the juice and then go fucking crazy and start beating Tom, or not Tom, but it's Sylvester up. <laughs> and Sylvester wouldn't know what's going on. I'm pretty sure they did it with Tom and Jerry, too. I did. I, yeah, most guys. No, have. Tom and Jerry, it was a kind of a, a, a joke thing where, um, wasn't it where he got the kangaroo, the baby kangaroo, and he made him look like Jerry? And uh, he kept replacing him. Uh, Jerry kept replacing himself with the kangaroo to scare Tom. Oh, oh yeah. Sorry. <laughs> 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 it probably did a Dr. Jekyll and Nearly every fucking cartoon has done it. Definitely. It's been done. Uh, there's piles of old yeah. movies about it, you know, from the, the, the black and white era. You know? Yeah. So it was hugely sensationalized. Same way we sensationalize serial killers now make movies about them, like, you know? Exactly. Exactly. I mean, there's a proper Zodiac movie, but there's also a Zodiac killer movie that's absolutely fucking ridiculous where he comes back. There's a BTK Returns movie, you know, there's, there's a BTK lot of really Returns. dumb fucking movies. Uh, Amityville has got a bunch of fucking yeah. sequel or sequels to that fucking story. Yeah, it? exactly. So, I mean, it was natural that, especially back in those days, a story like this, mm. which could be interpreted as many ways, would get kind of mixed up in this whole monster fascination and paranormal fascination that would have been going on at the time exactly. when they were super religious and wouldn't have had a fucking clue about science. Not a proper idea of science, mm. you know? Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, so the police went and investigated and they found the body of the gentleman in the lane, half a cane in the gutter near the body, which was assumed to be one half of the weapon used to club the man, the other half clearly having been taken by the assailant. 
On the gentleman's body, they found only a purse, a gold watch and a sealed letter addressed to a Gabriel John Utterson, a lawyer. So it wasn't a robbery then? Because he left everything there. He left the gold watch, he left the sealed letter, or he left uh, a purse. Mm-hmm. So this guy, obviously, it was uh, he was killing this guy to get him out of the way for something, was it? It wasn't a case of, I need money. Exactly. <laughs> when yeah. your average kind of Victorian time fucking robbery. Yeah. You know? yeah. So that morning, the police took the letter to, to Mr. Otterson and reading the letter, he asked to be brought to see the body before making any comments. So upon being brought to see the body, he instantly recognized the man as Sir John Danvers, a 70-year-old member of Parliament. Now this, oh, he's like um, a politician? Yeah, like, 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 uh, like a TD. So this would be a big deal? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you don't kill like... a member of Parliament. <laughs> or anyone. But. I wonder, do they have the same rights as, you know, how I was saying about capital crime, where you get 40 years in prison now, uh, straight away if you kill a guard or a priest. I wonder, would politicians have the same... On their name, I don't t- would you get a capital a capital punishment for uh, murdering a politician? It would make. S- it would make sense because they're working for the country. You know, yeah, I don't know. I'd what have about the president? I would have to assume, yeah. That would have to be lifelike. That would have Even to be like. Even though our president that. is more ceremonial than than I mean, and absolutely nobody would want to kill that man. He is just <laughs> the cutest. Yeah. We'll look it up for the next episode and see what the penalty is for killing a politician in Ireland. And mm. uh, I mean, again, Mr. Danvers was known as being a it genuinely must, nice man. So I mean, I was just about to say yeah. it must be a high cost in Ireland because we got a lot of politicians and a lot of people that hate them. <laughs> so I mean, oh, yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. The, there must be a high. Because there's no one trying to assassinate him. There must be a high, high, high price to pay in jail for killing. Yeah, you know, must be yeah. Getting, it must be capital. It has to be. I think. I years. think the worst that we've ever heard here was it a few years ago. But I think she did like a few weeks for it. Didn't she throw like a pie at one of them or cream or that something? That sounds familiar. Yeah. Oh, I can't. Uh, you wouldn't something know where like I. Ha- you know, I, I wouldn't be able to tell you if it was Ireland. Or oh, that was Ireland. Or, so, yeah, yeah. I remember it was Ireland, but I don't know where in Ireland. But it's definitely the Ireland. The guy threw the shoe with President Bush in America George Bush did you do time for it um I can't remember I think Bush might have pardoned him on the situation but it was um would that have I been seen as an, an assassination attempt no because I think it's a it's a seen as a, a fucking real insult in in Islamic culture I think I think that was oh. the point he was a Muslim he did it he threw the shoe at him this is the height of the 9-11 shit and the war on terrorism okay and he was making some speech and he threw the shoe at him and I know he was obviously arrested for it mm. and all that stuff, but I don't, I don't think he did any time for it. Well, probably, I think it would have yeah. been a PR kind of disaster for Bush because, <laughs> you know, this guy's protesting your war and terror that's causing him so much pain as a Muslim. Because, in all fairness, you can say what you want about that whole war and terror. Every Muslim I've ever met has been a nice fucking guy. Do you know, yeah. they, they, this kind of, they, they were stereotyped at the time and they were put down really far. Mm-hmm. It, it was kind of like, like what I say about the North. I was talking about the North of, North of Ireland. Actually, I was, talking, I was thinking about it. Talking. I was talking to myself. <laughs> and it was like this crazy thing of like, they act like it's this a Catholic versus Protestant fucking thing. But the religion had nothing to fucking do with it. It, yeah. was just, it was just a symbol for Ireland and England and that was all it was, you know. Mm-hmm. It didn't really fucking matter. I, like, I was thinking to myself, it was like, well, would I have been safe there in the 80s because I'm not a fucking Christian? Mm. And I was like, no, they would have turned around and said, well, what are your fucking parents? And I would have said Catholics and the Protestants would have shot me. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and, that, and it would be the same for a Catholic looking at a Protestant. You're not looking at the, the religion. The religion is only a symbol of what country you're, yeah. you're representing. Yeah, you know? exactly. And, and, you know, these Muslims kind of got branded with what 
this terrorist group were, were doing, you know, yeah, and what yeah. they were representing. Yeah. It would be like branding everybody in the Republic as IRA, IRA members. members and everyone, you know, and everyone that opposed them as being loyalists. Yeah. You know, and it's yeah. not the fucking case. Like, oh, know. no, no, no. But, uh, yeah, yeah, someone should shoot up. That's, that's the only one I remember, but yeah. Shoes in America, cream pies in Ireland. All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. We okay, both. Okay, we do not. Yeah, yeah, no cream pies in Ireland. <laughs> We're still a Catholic country. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe. They don't like condoms. So, yeah. <laughs> maybe that's okay with the Catholic Church. I don't know. I'm not up in the rules anymore. <laughs> Aye, okay. So, when Mr. Utterson was asked if he knew a Mr. Hyde, he asked if he was a particularly short man. So, that was kind of lining up with what Mary Riley had told the police. And when he was shown the broken walking stick, he immediately recognized it as one that he had given to his friend years earlier, Dr. Jekyll. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Advising that he knew where Hyde lived, he led the place to a din- or the police, the place. That sounded fierce Irish. The place. <laughs> I led the place down the road there. <laughs> advising that he knew where Hyde lived he led the police <coughs> to a dingy apartment in the Soho quarter of London here they met Hyde's landlady landlady I can't speak tonight and he, they questioned her about Hyde's movement the previous night that's crazy this is the exact same story as Richard Ramirez the police went down to his shitty little fucking dive mm. uh, hotel room mm. in uh, Skid Row and questioned his landlady about it. Yeah. And uh, his landlady was saying, like, yeah, Richie, yeah, he comes in here. He said she joked about it, mm. that she was watching the news one night and he came in, you know, to reception. He was like, hey, wouldn't it be funny if I was that guy? And then he walked off with it. Everyone down there knew him oh, as Cocaine Richie with the... Cocaine Richie with the good hair. <laughs> he did not have good hair. Apparently he did. Apparently it was <laughs> very healthy hair. That was one. Was of it mugshot? Is it mugshots? Is that is, is that a mugshot? Well, one of his there? victims even said it like uh, one of his surviving hair. victims. It was like that's how she described him. He was like good Becky hair. With the good hair. <laughs> no, and in all fairness, she also said he was a kind of good-looking guy. But I, I, I. unless he drastically changed in between that and pictures, his teeth mm. are supposed to be terrible, and the smell of his breath was like well, that was the what big was, thing. That was the big thing, like, survivors would say, like, that, you know, it was just the smell of his breath and fucking his teeth were rotten, like. Yuck. But again, he was a fucking... Maybe he was cranky because he had sore teeth. Huh? Or maybe it's because he grew up in a family. One of, we'll get into it eventually when we do Richard Ramirez. Oh, I know, it was shit. Yeah, His was... cousin shot his wife in front of him. <clears throat> and he only did something like two years for that. The cousin? Yeah. So did Richard Ramirez kind of look at that and be like, yeah, I can do this and get away with that. Then he moved in with his sister, whose husband was a peeping Tom and took young Richie along with him to go peeping. So, yeah, the Night Stalker was well fucking trained. (laughs) Disgusting. (laughs) Oh, fucking. His story is unbelievably disgusting. When we get into it someday again, Mm -hmm. you'll see. He will be done soon. He will be when we get there fairly quickly. Oh, back to Hyde's landlady. So she said that he did arrive home very late the night before and left barely an hour later. This, she indicated, was not unusual for Hyde as he kept very irregular hours. And in fact, she hadn't seen him before then since two months prior. So they asked to see his rooms and uh, they noted that the rooms that Hyde did use were elegant and nicely furnished. 
However, they also noted that the rooms did look like they were hardly ransacked in the very recent past. There was clothes lying around that had their pockets turned inside out, drawers were left open, and there was a pile of grey ash in the fire hearth looking as though there was papers that had been burnt recently. Oh, get rid mm. of the evidence. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so in these ashes, the inspector found the butt end of a green checkbook. Okay. Mm-hmm. And behind a door in Hyde's room, they found the other end of the stick that was used to beat Danvers. And the stick was instantly recognized by Mr. Mr. Otterson again to be the gift that he had given Dr. Deckel. Okay. So they have this guy dead to rights. All evidence is right here. Yeah, basically. Okay. So visiting the bank with the green checkbook, they found that there was several thousand pounds in Hyde's account. Well, that was obvious from the look of his house. It was well furnished and all that stuff. You knew he had money straight away. I kind of gathered that exactly. myself. Exactly. But he was and a scruffy looking man. didn't rob the fucking guy he killed, so he... He must have had money. Yeah, he clearly wasn't fucking shy of cash, like, you know? Well, Otterson would have known that he had money to, to a certain extent, but we get into that in a minute. So they had thought that the obvious course of action would be to wait outside the bank for Hyde as he almost certainly would come to withdraw money. However... Mr. Hyde actually managed to keep a very low profile and very few people had actually seen him. Mary Riley even had only ever seen him twice. Uh, I think the butler had seen him fleetingly on one occasion. I mean, he was allowed to come and go from Dr. Jekyll's house. He was kind of like Dr. Jekyll's, according to the maid, Dr. Jekyll's kind of second, like he coming up, he was kind of training him, kind of coming up. The way she talked in her book, you'd swear like they had a full-blown romance. Yeah, she did kind of hint at that, but I think, Hazel again, up. yeah. But um, it, could, it could have been to Tara, because, again, they were in trouble back then. I don't bad of an Irish lady, but, jeez, come on. Yeah. Trying exactly. to cash in. <laughs> exactly. But, um, well, you couldn't blame her either, though. She was mm. just a maid for this guy, like, you know, in that time. Yeah. You get a chance to, to make a few quid, and all you got to do, it's the same as today. They'd sell their, you'd sell your story in a happy everyone sure. does, you know? Yeah, I'd yeah. assume it would have been similar back then, selling your story to the papers or writing a book and releasing it. And yeah. Especially with the 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 status of the story of De- Jekyll and Hyde mm. and the movies made later and stuff. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he was coming in as kind of like, kind of, she kind of said as well that, uh, that kind of he was coming in as his second. So he was allowed to come and go from the house. But he kind of, again, like the landlady said, kept weird hours. So it was nearly always when there was nobody around. So everyone would make he's lurking the hallways. Basically. basically, not even lurking the hallways, just hardly getting to Dr. Jekyll's lab. Getting my knees and getting out of there again. Yeah, yeah. Okay. kind of skulking around the lab more. So. What was Dr. Jekyll a doctor of? Medicine. Okay. Yeah, so at the back of his house, he had a laboratory, but he also had an old uh, theater, an old operating theater, but okay. it was one of these um, um, learning ones, so that you'd have the stalls around them, so, so the old-timey yeah. one, yeah, with the straw on the floor, and yeah. So that afternoon, Mr. Otterson paid Dr. Jekyll a visit, remembering the stick that he'd given him. He found Dr. Jekyll at the rear of the house, huddled up to a, fi- up to a fire in the back room of the laboratory, looking deathly pale. Otterson asked him if he had seen or if he had heard the news, to which Jekyll replied that he had, but he vehemently denied that he was helping to conceal Hyde when questioned by Otterson, obviously over the connection with the walking stick. Yeah, yeah, he'd know him, like. Yeah, according and to... The ma- and well, obviously the maid, yeah, yeah, yeah. There yeah. Multiple times. Exactly, but I think the big thing is the murder weapon. Oh, yeah. Right. According to Otterson, Jekyll swore that he would hear no more from Hyde and that he was quite confident that Hyde was finished with them. When asked what made him so sure, he produced a letter that he had allegedly received from Hyde. Being at a loss as to whether or not he should show it to the police, he asked Utterson to look over it and to give his legal opinion. 
According to Otterson, the letter was written in an odd upright hand, signed Edward Hyde. The contents instructed Jekyll was not to worry about Hyde's safety, as he had a sure, safe means of escape. And when he asked if he still had the, the envelope, Jekyll had said that he'd burnt it before thinking of the significance of the letter and the envelope. However, there was no postmark on the letter um, or on the envelope and Jekyll advised that it had been handed in. So like it hadn't, it hadn't been posted. It wasn't delivered what it was, yeah, he, he hand delivered it himself. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. So, uh, <coughs> sorry, I'm not. <laughs> no, 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 no. I was just about to ask it myself. Yeah. Um, so what you were saying about Mary Riley there, I mean, like when you kind of look at the letter, oh, don't worry about me, I'm safe. Maybe she might have been getting at something. That seems to be someone. I mean, for for how mad kind of Jekyll kind of seems at Hyde at this stage. What do you mean? As in, the letter assuring Jekyll that Hyde is safe. You're not going to hear from me. I'm safe. It sounds nearly like a breakup letter. Don't you think, dear John? Letter. Why do you think there was something going on there? No, which is just now that you point out that Mary Riley kind of like she did kind of include. That maybe there might have been a, a homosexual, romance. yeah, yeah. No, she. I didn't mean about between them. I meant between her and and Hyde her, himself. Oh, I thought you were getting at Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. No, the way she played it, I always thought it was a thing of uh, her and Hyde had a thing going on, and and, and oh, she did allege that once or twice as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's what caused him to see the error of his ways. Ah. Oh God, <laughs> you know. <laughs> anyway. Strangely enough, though, while on his way out of the house, Utterson asked Jekyll's butler, Poole, if he could describe the person that handed in the note, to which Poole replied there had been no note handed in. Anything that, har- that had arrived came by post. So Utterson believed that it must have come through Lahide's laboratory door because there was a separate entrance for the lab. Okay. Mm-hmm. So here's where it gets kind of interesting. But see, I just assumed Hyde bought it to the laboratory himself before fucking off. I didn't think he'd handed in. If he's just if he's just guy skulking around at night, not wanting to be seen by people, he's not just going to show up on his last day and be like, "Here, I'll give this to Jekyll. I'll talk to you later." <laughs> you know? But again, why leave a witness at the last minute? Few people have seen him. That's what I'm saying, though. Yeah. Why would he? Why would he hand it in to the butler? Like he's going to wait until it's night time and make his own way to the laboratory and just leave the letter there and go away. True. Do you know. True. Yeah. That would be my assumption. Like, you know, mm. if a guy doesn't want to be seen, he ain't just going to start suddenly just to deliver a letter. Yeah. Yeah. So Mr. Otterson brought the letter back to his office where he showed his clerk, Mr. Guest, reasoning that as Mr. Guest had a keen interest in handwriting, this would be a good next step. Oh, so they had handwriting analysis back then, did they? Mm-hmm. Handwriting analysis is a tedious and methodical process that relies on extensive knowledge of the way pe- people form letters, including whether they use light pressure or heavy pressure, large letters, narrow spacing, and more. The characteristics of letter formation are unique, and the physiological... Is that the right word, physiological? Like you Physiological. Yes, I got it right. Process behind writing. (laughs) The ways in which a person's fine motor skills can affect his or her handwriting can leave clues about the author's identity. The primary basis of handwriting analysis as a science is that every person in the world has a unique way of writing. When we were all kids in primary school, we learned to write based on a particular copybook, a style of writing. Which copybook or handwriting comes from depends on where and when we grew up. 
So at first we all probably wrote in a similar way to kids of our own age and location. But with the passing of time, those writing characteristics we learned in school, our style characteristics, became only the underlining method of our handwriting. We developed individual characteristics that are unique to us and distinguish our handwriting from someone else's. Most of us don't write the way we did in first or second class. And while two or more people may share a couple of individual characteristics, the chances of those people sharing 20 or 30 individual characteristics is so unlikely that many handwriting analysis say it will be almost impossible. Mm-hmm. And when Mr. Guest saw the note, he commented that it was written in a very odd hand. Mr. Guest asked to see any correspondence that Utterson had received from Jekyll and compared both pieces of paper side by side. Both sides of handwriting were almost identical, saving one thing. Both were differently soaked. So it was Jekyll covering for the murder? Okay, so just to step away from the murder for a minute and give you a bit of background about the relationship between Jekyll and Utterson before we actually explain. So Utterson and Jekyll had been good friends for a long time. And as we said, Utterson was also Jekyll's lawyer. So Mr. Utterson first came across Mr. Hyde uh, was when Jekyll had approached him to have his will changed. The new version of the will provided that in the event of Jekyll's death, Hyde would inherit all his possessions. In the case of Jekyll's disappearance after a period of three months had passed, Hyde would step into Jekyll's shoes without further delay. And that will did not sit well with Utterson at all. Why? Because they're uh, mad stipulations. It's kind of like you're, you're setting yourself up to be disappeared or murdered. Not to be murdered. Yeah. yeah. Do you not think so? Uh, yeah. I, I think... Yeah, I suppose so, yeah. Especially yeah. in those times when you could get away with it a lot easier. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And it's kind of... I wouldn't have put the disappearance thing in there. <laughs> no. And also, he he was very good friends with, with, with Dr. Jekyll. And I would assume that he would have presumed for Hyde to be the benefactor. And a benefactor to that extent that he would have heard of Hyde before, before, before yeah. this. Like, yeah. it was the first time he'd ever heard of him. Okay, yeah, yeah, I get it. So the second time Utterson came across, and obviously, just going from the will, that would be how... The clerk would have recognized the handwriting. Okay. Because the clerk would have been like, you know, like, 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 not legal secretary, legal executive. So he would have liked, you know, like witnessed wills and all that. And uh, yeah, yeah. So the second time Utterson came across Mr. Hyde, Hyde definitely did not make a good impression on him either. So one day while walking through Soho with Richard Enfield, Utterson's cousin and a kind of man about ta- town, Richard pointed to a door. This door happened to be the entrance to the old dissecting room, so the theatre that we were talking about attached to Dr. Jekyll's laboratory at the rear of the house. Enfield had said that one night as he was on his way home at about three o'clock in the morning, he saw two figures coming towards him, one being a girl aged maybe about 10 running like the wind and the other being a little man appearing to almost drag his leg behind him as if almost in a kind of a limp. The two were going towards each other at a kind of a corner and inevitably... You know, she was running. They were coming towards a corner. They were going to crash head on into each other. And that's what happened, knocking the child over. The man carried on his way, trampling over the child who was left screaming on the ground. Enfield said that he gave chase and caught the man and dragged him back to the child where a crowd had already gathered. According to Enfield, once the doctor arrived, there was not much harm done to the child, but she was more frightened than hurt. But it was still a pretty shit thing to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fairness. Ran, basically, he just ran through her, is it? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Didn't stop. So what Enfield did find curious was that even though the doctor had confirmed the child had sustained no injuries, the child's family 
and the crowd that gathered around were out for blood just by the mere look of the man. Even the doctor said that he had turned sick and white with the desire to kill the man every time he looked at him. He's just got one of these punchable faces. Absolutely. So. You know the kind of face. I have met people like this where I just looked at them for no reason at all thought, oh, I would love to hear. The kind of people that give you, the, I never like, would. he just gave everybody an excuse. To yeah. I never would, but it, it's in the back of your head, like, just, 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 just I, I want, I, I, there's a need. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you just mm-hmm. have to repress it. But, you know, usually it's not, I find, usually it's it's not that the person is ugly, it's the expression they hold on their face. Like, yeah, I get it, know? yeah. So the women that had gathered in the crowd, he said, had to be held off by the men because apparently they were as wild as harpies, quote. They what gave, does that mean? Hang on, are you saying like the men wanted to kill him and the women wanted to ride him? No, oh, harpies, they wanted oh, to kill him. they wanted to fucking tear him to pieces. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> like, what the fuck All the mammies coming here? out over the 10-year-old child. Uh-huh. Right? You know, <laughs> all the mammies coming out. So they gave the man an ultimatum. They could either make sure that his name was sullied, losing all his friends and never being able to receive credit again. That was huge. So, I mean, like, if you knew everybody, you were going to get loaned back then. Do you know that yeah, kind yeah. of way? Yeah, but like, that's, that's, if it was your kind of... Mud, muddy your name, like. Yeah, I always think, after watching... Yeah. Huh? Blackball, yeah, from everything. Like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always kind of think of it like the episode of Black Mirror where she goes in and she's like, she's getting all the likes. Oh, yeah, the f- social media episode yeah. and your status in life is based on your social uh, media status. Oh, God. Basically the Victorian version of it. <sighs> mm, I'd hate it. Oh, <laughs> we'd be the lowest standing people going, <laughs> no effort at all. We'd be living in a all. tent in a field right now. Maybe we get points for the podcast, though. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Uh, what, you just mentioned the Catholic Church and cream pies at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> that would get attention. <laughs> Not likes, though. <laughs> In the end, they demanded a £100 for the child's family. The man eventually agreed, because obviously he had no freaking choice, and led Enfield and the crowd to the door that he that Enfield had remarked upon to Utterson, being the laboratory door. Yeah. yeah. So the men went through this door and eventually returned with £10 in gold and a cheque for the balance. Enfield, believing the cheque to be a forgery, waited with the doctor, the child's father, and the man until the bank opened to cash the cheque, which turned out to be genuine. Audison also noted that Enfield had remarked that he had sometimes studied this little house from time to time and noticed that hardly anyone went through the door except for his, in quotes, friend, but that the windows were always clean and the chimney was always smoking, so somebody must be living there. When Otterson checked, uh, or when Otterson asked Enfield if he could remember the name of the man from the check, Enfield said that it was a Mr. Hyde. When asked what sort of, of man Mr. Hyde was, Enfield had said that although he was unable to describe the man, he could say that he was extraordinary to look at in that he never saw a man that he disliked more. So is this guy kind of like Ted Bundy with the kind of... Being the, the kind of nondescript kind of... Like, I, I've always said Ted Bundy would have probably been a great spy. Because mm. he just kind of blended in with everybody. But when asked, it would be like, oh, the kind of good-looking guy that it was just ordinary. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, they but could describe they things that he was short, that he had a that he had a limp. But when, you know, every, every description about his face was just that he had a basically, like you said, a punchable face. Okay. But it doesn't really describe someone. You, you, couldn't, you couldn't draw, like, a police... Sketch, uh, sketch from that like. I wonder what police sketches would have been like back then I mean, I mean art is art I mean there still would have been people able to take descriptions and draw oh, I wonder would have been. the quality have been as good or would it have been better there is a Jack the Ripper sketch have. isn't there I don't know I the don't know about that Ripper police sketch yeah. I'm pretty sure yeah um, he's got a, um, one of those uh, curly 
mustaches. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he looks, yeah, from what I can see. Weird. I think they might have been trying to H.H. Holmes them, though. Yeah. Looking at him. So, anyway, obviously, after hearing such a story of, of the benefactor of his friend's will, he wanted to find out more about Mr. Hyde. So he went to ask another friend, Dr. Lanyon, if he had met Hyde before. Dr. Lanyon was a great friend of Jekyll's and Utterson thought that if anyone had met Hyde, it would be Lanyon. However, Lanyon had never met the man. Furthermore, he had told Utterson that he had, didn't really associate with Jekyll anymore because he had concepts that became too fanciful for him and he did not agree with a lot of his scientific con- concepts. So, uh... Jekyll would have been a bit of a, an experimenter, would he? Kind yeah. Of pushing the bone. But I told medicine was back then, wasn't it? That's how they discovered better ways of doing things was guys oh, that yeah. bought, bought corpses off of fucking grave robbers and went into their room and dissected them and found how everything worked and how everything ticked. And that's how still we got with, medicine today. Within reason, though. I mean, it still would have been frowned upon if you, like, Frankenstein them. Oh. I mean, like it's one thing to rob the bodies, but and, and oh, I know yeah. robbing the bodies was illegal. Yeah. I mean, but the point is that that's what they did. That's how mm. medicine came yeah. along, as it did. Like you know, but if that didn't happen, medicine probably would have been pushed back another fucking couple of decades. Probably they would have gotten there at the end, but it yeah, but sure if they weren't cutting been... people up from the start, oh, they, yeah, they yeah, weren't yeah. going to figure out what was on the inside. Exactly. You know? Do you ever see the uh, the the cages over the graves? To stop him from grave robbing. Yeah, and yeah, some yeah. of them, they used to be taken off. You know, they, they'd be there for maybe a few months, and they'd be like, right, nobody wants that body because it's too... And then they take them off with some of them. They just never came back for them. I read, I don't know how definite this is because I didn't get... I, I can't remember the source. Yeah. But oh, definitely one of the Ed Gein things I watched, and I'm pretty sure I did say it in our uh, Real Monsters episode on Ed Gein, yeah. that the reason he didn't rob his own mother's grave was that she was encased in concrete. Something to do no. with the foundation or, or something or the way that the graveyard was laid out. That a few of them had to be filled with concrete to keep, I don't so know. Maybe subsiding or something? Yeah, I'm not 100% sure. Yeah. But um, so maybe there was a cage. That's probably what would have been. That would have been easier than putting cages on it. Just concrete and over them. I don't think the Victorians had concrete. No? How they build their houses and stuff? Water, I'm presuming. Is that not um? <laughs> I'm doing a lot of Google. Well, then just put blocks and mortar down there and fucking, you know, brick it off. Do you know? Oh, yeah. yeah, but a cage that you're just hammering into the ground yeah, takes two seconds. Yeah, I was just seconds. thinking of the hassle of making a cage. <laughs> well, yeah. Sure, they had concrete, but it was for yeah. fireproofing floors. Yeah? Mm-hmm. That's all they used it for? Mm-hmm. It wasn't reinforced as we know it today. Okay. So, basically. Hey, you. Yeah, you. You like the podcast? Want some more? Then head on over to our Patreon page where for just five euro a month you get up to twelve extra shows in that month, along with piles of mini swords covering fun facts from the world of horror and true crime. Each week we drop multiple shows such as Real Monsters where we look at the inspiration behind the movie killers or Behind the Mask where we take a look at the influential people and happenings in the world of Hollywood. All this plus movie reviews, watch-alongs and regular AMAs. That means ask me anything. You really do get a bang for your buck. And, And by bang I mean like podcast. I'm not soliciting or anything. Shit. Um, moving on. For just five euro a month, all this could be yours. So head on over to www.patreon.com forward slash IAAPod. That's www.patreon.com forward slash IAAPod. And start listening now. 
So, uh, from his description, uh, from this description of Hyde and the fact that he was more, that he was the benefactor of Jekyll's will, curiosity overcame Utterson. So he stood morning, noon and night and hid rain or shine by the door in Soho in order to catch a glimpse of Hyde. Finally, one night at around 10 o'clock, Utterson laid eyes on him. This sounds more like the story of a stalker than it does about a story of a, of a killer. I think it's just a man wanting to make sure his best friend is okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what else are you going to be doing in Victorian fucking times? Well, just stand on the street or stand around looking at shit. <laughs> <laughs> so the man that he saw was a man that he described as small and plainly dressed with an odd light footstep. He approached the door and withdrew the key for the door. Otterson asked him if he was Mister Hyde, to which he replied he was, and asked Otterson what he wanted. Utterson said that he was an old friend of Dr. Jekyll's and he asked to see Mr. Hyde's face. Hyde obliged, asking after how Utterson had known it was him. Utterson replied that he had got his description uh, from a common friend, not wanting to mention Enfield. He told him that it was Jekyll who had described him to him. According to Utterson, Hyde flew into an absolute rage when he was told that that it was Hyde, that it was Jekyll that described him. saw it as a bit of a... uh, backstabbing like a no not at all he told Utterson that he had to be lying that he was absolutely lying that Jekyll wouldn't have described him to him oh so he trusted him yeah okay. basically yeah but I mean I'm having that trust in someone do, do, do you know well, that he's been a factor I suppose they, they must have, I mean at this point you have to think yeah. that there was some level of trust between them yeah but, but just have all these points in your head for one of the theories afterwards one of the okay. sensationalized theories so entering the dissecting room uh, and he, he left Utterson on the street and that was kind of the end of that interaction. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He was obviously a bit of a gruff man. So after that, Otterson wanted to see Dr. Jekyll. And when he got there, Jekyll's butler, Pooh, advised that he wasn't at home. Otterson has asked if it was right that Mr. Hyde had entered the dissecting room door if Jekyll wasn't at home. Pooh said that it was okay, that Hyde had a key, and that all the servants were told to obey Hyde's orders. However, he never dined with Jekyll, and the very rarely met him on the other side of the house as he preferred to come and go by the dissecting room door through the laboratory. Okay. So two weeks later, Dr. Jekyll threw a dinner party at his house and with a handful of friends in attendance, Mr. Otterson being one, he got a quiet minute to have a word with Jekyll and he let him know once more that he disapproved of the will and that he'd heard a dreadful story about Hyde. It's been about the kid. Been about the kid. Yeah. Jekyll immediately shut him down, not wanting to speak anymore about Hyde in any way, shape or form. And according to Utterson, he had said that his position was unusual and that his, that his will was staying as he had updated. He told him that the minute he cho- chose to be free of Mr. Hyde, he could be. And then Utterson was not to say or, say or worry anymore about the matter. So basically what he said there was, stay the fuck out of my business. <laughs> oh, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that he's fine. That all the, the only thing that he asked Utterson to do in the matter was basically to help Hyde when Jekyll was no longer there. Okay. 
So, which again, it's a bit so of an odd one, statement. In one side of it, he's like, I can get rid of him anytime I want, but, you know, help him when I'm not here anymore. And again, with the whole disappearance thing, it almost sounds like he's expecting someone to come fucking from. Oh, yeah. Like he's worried that, that, that there's someone after him or something. Mm. You know, it sounds like a mafia guy, like preparing his family for the worst when he knows uh-huh. hit out on him. Like, yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I think we'll go into it a tiny bit more. I think that at this stage as well, Otterson was kind of playing with the idea in his head of that maybe there is a medical condition here. Okay. And not so much psychological, we'll get into that as well, but more of like an actual medical, like a physical condition. For what, Jekyll? Yeah. Jekyll yeah. might be dying or something and that's why he was... Yeah, uh, kind of. Well, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. So all that took place nearly a year before the murder of Danvers. So back to the case at hand. So not long after the Danvers in- in- incident, Mr. Otterson received a visit from Mr. Poole, Jekyll's butler. He'd said that from the look on Pooh's face, he knew instantly something was wrong. Pooh said that they all knew of the doctor's ways. That he was kind of known for shutting himself away in his laboratory for periods of time, being kind of like, as we said, he was kind of getting more fanciful in his scientific concepts. So, but this time, Pooh, he, he, he felt it was different. According to Otterson, Pooh said that he'd been worried for a week and that he could bear it no longer. He suspected there had, he, there had been foul play asking Otterson to come to, with him to Jekyll's house to investigate. So what, they thought, thought they hadn't seen him because something had happened to him? Like? Because something had happened to him. And I'll go into it a bit more as well, but there was kind of certain interactions where Dr. Jekyll may have been passing himself off as Dr. Jekyll, but his voice definitely wasn't Dr. Jekyll. So Hyde might have been pretending to be Dr. Jekyll. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so, it's a lot more complicated than the, the, the movies make it out to be. Yes. The movies are pretty much straight up, I drink this juice and I get angry. Because <laughs> everybody loves the horror side of it, you know, like, yeah. So when they arrived at the house, the door was locked. Poole reassured the servants that it was himself who had returned with Utterson. So obviously the servants were extremely nervous also. So they were afraid of Hyde? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, every. Because he's kind of like a boogeyman, all right. Do you know when you think of it? Only comes at night. Yeah. You know, this Trampers little girls. Creepy appearance. Mm-hmm. You know, even the limp. It does exactly. sound like and this something. This is after the, this, the, 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 the mate had seen Danvers being covered. Oh, that's death, it, yeah. Well. So they know he's a killer, too. Oh, yeah, that. definitely. So entering the house, all the servants were downstairs in their nightclothes, huddled around the fire, all clearly afraid and silent, except for the maid who was crying. So obviously she was. That Mary Riley? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Following Poole through the house, they reached the laboratory and Poole told Utterson to hide within earshot. Excuse me. He wanted Utterson to be able to hear the exchange, but did not want to be seen or to be heard himself. So Poole called out to Jekyll without entering the lab to let him know that Utterson was here to see him. Jekyll called back to Poole telling, telling him to tell Utterson that he was not able to see anyone. And see, again, we talk about, like, what he might have been up to in there. Yeah. Like, for uh, people who don't who don't realize it, like, if he had been caught dissecting people in there, even if it was for, like, research, medical research mm. to better medical, uh, or advance the medical fucking yeah. system and all that kind of stuff, this is a very religious time. He would have been fucking hung, oh, burned, drawn, quarter. They would have fucking only, only if it was legal grave grave robbing. If he if he got the cadaver, usually it was um. It well, was that's what I mean. If, yeah. he, if he got it from a grave robber, like he, oh well, he but fucking, then he's in trouble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're a fucking going down like it's yeah. fucking witch behavior. That is, if, <laughs> you're he, if you got it legally, you're stuff. fine. Yeah. 
all our dead bodies are ethically sourced. How, <laughs> <laughs> how common would that have been, though? Where would they have been getting fucking, as you say, ethically sourced bodies from? Would it have been criminals? Yeah, 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 things like that. Um, I, I presume even back then, I Slaves, mean, like people were starting like to become into being um scientific nuts. Yeah. You know, we were kind but of getting I into that like era. Yeah, slavery stuff, like that, stuff that was seen as property would have been easy as well to sell on. More so place. in America, you, you, that that wasn't that, that. I don't think that would have been as common in the UK because there was no, there wasn't slavery in the UK. Slavery. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. You would have been a low-wage servant, which would have been close to slavery, basically, in, in the UK. Yeah, that would yeah. Have been basically, I think, I, I think they still, had, they still definitely still had indentured servants. or in, 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 So basically, like, you were a paid slave. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. So the two crept back into the house, and Pooh asked if Otterson would agree that the voice they had heard from the lab was not Jekyll. Otterson, while agreeing that he definitely did not sound like himself, and further, he had seen Jekyll while out walking with Enfield a few days prior. And Jekyll, again, looking kind of desperate, had told the pair that he was feeling very, very low and who hoped to recover soon. So he was kind of maybe getting a... He just wasn't well. He was sick. Though. He was sick. Yeah, yeah. What Otis- age would he be at this point? Do we know? Do we have an idea? I don't think... I, I would say roughly kind of mid to late 50s. Okay. All in this time. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. So Otterson also pointed out that if what Poole was getting at was that Hyde had murdered Jekyll, it wouldn't make sense because why would Hyde hang around? Yeah, he'd just collect his... Well, I suppose he'd have to hang around to collect what he gets on the will, wouldn't he? Exactly. Well, yeah, yeah could be it. Poole argued that the last week, whoever was living in the, in the lab had been crying out for medicine that he couldn't get his hands on. He had also said that sometimes when Jekyll had, had, was holed up in the lab, he would write orders on a piece of paper for the servants and leave them on the stairs. The last week, however, that was all they received. Papers on the stairs full of orders and complaints. Poole had been sent all over the city searching uh, chemists for a, particular, for a particular substance. But every time he brought the said substance back to Jekyll, he was sent back to the chemist with it as it was said, he said that it was impure. Just get me the Sudafed, man. <laughs> basically. Fucking Basically. <laughs> <laughs> fucking cooking up fucking if all Walter White and fucking in the laboratory. Again, that is one of the theories. <laughs> but Otterson asked Poole if he could see one of the notes that was sent to the chemist, and Poole produced a note which read Oh, I like this. Dr. Jekyll presents his compliments to Messrs. Ma. Ma? He assures them that their last sample is impure and quite useless for his present purpose. In the year 18. I, there, there's, there is parts missing from the notes. So all we know okay. is that it's like so. We don't know what year it was. No. Doctor J purchased a somewhat large quantity of Messers. What the fuck is Messers? From Messers yeah. M, it's like Misters, Messers, Misters. Okay. Yeah. He now begs them to search with the most sigilous care, and should any of the same quality be left forwarded to him at once, expense is no consideration. The importance of this to Doctor J can hardly be exaggerated. At the end of the letter was sprawled as if in an emotional rage. For God's sake, find me some of the old. That sounds nasty. <laughs> find me a good bit of old. <laughs> a gill faction. All right. Oh, <laughs> all right, all right, all right. <laughs> Otterson read the note and pointed out that the handwriting was definitely Jekyll's, which Pooh said that he had agreed with until he caught a glimpse of the supposed uh, Jekyll or Hyde, whichever we're going with 
one night, except he said for just a moment his Hyde or Jekyll fed when he saw him, but he was wearing a mask. Hold on a minute. What do you mean Jekyll Hyde, Hyde Jekyll? Are we saying they're the same person or is it? Right now, Otterson is saying that it's Dr. Jekyll. Poole is saying that it's Mr. Hyde. Oh, because he's saying Hyde killed Jekyll and is pretending to be him and they're disagreeing on... Not just saying okay. you're kind of mad. Okay. Yeah. And he was wearing a mask. And he was wearing a mask. What kind of so, mask? Just a mask. Hiding, hiding his just... With just to hide like his face. Like a Phantom of the Opera kind of mask kind of thing. Just to... I'm kind of picturing it. The, 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 the mask, if I'm being very honest, the mask wasn't described. But I'm kind of picturing like a pillow with the, with the two... I'm oh, sure it I'm wasn't. I'm picturing Chucky in the last episode of Chucky. Do you remember when he was walking around with Phantom of the Opera mask but it was covering his two eyes? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I like the Phantom mask, to be honest. It looked cool on Chucky. It did. <laughs> so, while Jekyll was a tall man, this masked person he saw was of considerably shorter stature. And that he was, he also said that he was absolutely sure that a murder had been committed. When Audison asked him if he recognized the masked figure, Poole replies that he believed that it was Hyde, not only for the resemblance in height, but also he was the only other one with a key to the lab. Had to be one of the two. Had to be one of the two. So deciding that the only thing to do was to investigate the lab and the adjoining back room, they weaponed up. Audison taking kitchen poker, which was usually my choice of weapon. What, the, the fire poker? Yeah, if you're not here, I'll have the poker with me. <laughs> <laughs> and Poole, he got an axe from the old operating yeah, theater. Poole had a better weapon. <laughs> oh, definitely a better weapon. I would like to know why there is an axe in the operating theater, though. That's Well, scary. that probably would have been, you know, something they use for... Bone saws. That's how you get through bone. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Oh, but it wouldn't... Yeah, so whoa, it would have just been like a handsaw bone saw, like... It's like yeah, a hacksaw. A hacksaw, yeah, exactly. Are those kind of like rectangular ones with the, the tin blade? The tin blade, yeah. Straight, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah for cutting through steel. Basically stuff, yeah. that, but um, but they had kind of like a long kind of wooden handle on them. Mm. Now oh. it's really cool though. I was watching, um, oh, there, I, I follow this, um, he's a he's a, um, a pathologist guy and he was showing his bone saws and their class because they're sharp, like they open up your skull during your, your, your autopsy. But when it's on and your finger goes to it, it doesn't cut through flesh. It is class. Mm -hmm. So, they weaponed up, as we said, and went into the old operating theatre. And standing outside the door, Utterson cried out, Jekyll, I demand to see you. Shouting at him that he was coming in one way or the other. So, kind of giving him a heads up. Utterson, for God's sake, have mercy, the voice called back. A voice that definitely they knew this time was not Jekyll's. And Utterson fully agreed, shouting to Poole to break down the door with his axe. So this took, again, not too much time, but you know yourself breaking down a door. I assume when they say axe, they mean like a little fucking hatchet kind of fucking thing, like. Like, like, uh, I, would think, I don't think holding. it's a fireman's axe. Yeah, like you'd see a fucking Viking holding or something. Yeah. So it would take a bit of hacking to go like, yeah. through the door. Yeah, exactly. So as Pooh broke down the door, they said they could hear a shriek that he said sounded like an animal in terror from the laboratory. Lying before them as they entered the lab was a contorted and still twitching body in the center of the floor, the body of Edward Hyde. Ooh. Otterson said that he knew instantly that he had taken his own life as when they entered the lab the lab spelled strongly of kernels. So what, he popcorned himself to that? Ah, sounds like it. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, kernels are obviously, they're the central seeds inside some fruits and nuts. And they're so also... So why he had an allergy? No. <laughs> he had an allergy? Of fruit and nuts, and he took the nuts and that killed them? No. They are a source of cyanide. 
Oh. Aha. Uh-huh. So that's a poisonous chemical that can cause a death in seconds, especially if it's uh, if it's inhaled, if it's turned into a gas, you're, uh, you're gone. Like. Anyone who's ever seen a World War Two movie will know it as the thing that the Nazis take every time they get caught and exactly. makes their mouth foam up. Or if you're watching a movie where the Russians are the bad guys and they get caught, they mm-hmm. take one and their mouth will all foam up. I'm yeah, sure yeah, there's been yeah. many Bond movies. <laughs> so cyanides are found in substantial amounts in certain seeds and fruits and fruit stones. So for example, crazy. In, I didn't know that. Yeah, in bitter almonds, in apricots, uh, apples and peaches. And as I said, if cyanide, in, cyanide is inhaled, it can cause death within a matter of seconds. An apple a day will keep the doctor away in my fucking hole. A <laughs> hundred apples will kill you. <laughs> So Otterson recalled that after the night in question, how he could how how he could smell the burnt kernels in the air in the air. So it is safe to say that the cause of death of Mister Hyde was suicide. Crazy. Okay. So are they suspecting like a murder suicide here that he he killed Jekyll and then afterwards killed himself, which is a bit crazy considering the whole conspiracy up until this point is that he was trying he to get rid of Jekyll money. for his his <laughs> money, but yeah. really, which will play into what you were saying about the whole. The homosexual side, mm-hmm. the gay side of it. That yeah. when I say homosexual, it sounds very bad. I, I, I sounded like uh, Archie Bunker, fucking trying to talk about gay people there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the whole like them being a gay couple kind of plays in there because one can't live without the other kind yeah. of thing. And, yeah, uh, it does. Yeah, which yeah, it's kind of nice, but not at the same time. If he murdered Jekyll first, and yeah. it was a suicide pact kind of thing, I don't know. But you then Jekyll also disappeared. So Jekyll's body wasn't found. Jekyll's body was never found, okay. and yeah, so so I, we don't know if his so maybe body. Jekyll fell that effect off, and and Hyde just killed himself out of heartbreak. Honestly, we do, well no, because then he'd still get all the money. Well, yeah, no, sorry, I was about to say, well, no, he'd still get all his money, but if he's that heartbroken, <laughs> fuck love, I want the cash. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I don't have a life insurance policy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Josh. <laughs> When do you want to take that one? <laughs> Honestly, so it's a bit like Jack the Ripper. Too much time has passed and there's too many stories and legends that have grown up around the fact. And there are so many th- theories that are thrown around at the time. So we'll just go through a few. Otterson, he kind of, he, he had asserted at one stage that it could have been leprosy. So, I mean, that can affect the vocal cords and there'll be a dra- drastic change in a person's appearance. But, but I mean, see each other? That, that's what I'm Dominion saying. That, that's on board during yeah. the same time period. So that would be like saying, unless he was heavily made up or something when he was going out or something. Uh-huh. I don't know. You see, there, there. That's the flaw there. Like, I mean, like you, you have like you kind of tick off the voice change, the appearance change, height. the height, the height. I mean, like it can affect if if that goes, it, it can affect your skin, it can affect your but bones, you it goes assume, into your spine. I you mean, would assume again if, like we said, this Utterson fella, he literally went up to Hyde and said, "Show me your face." Mm-hmm. Surely, if he is as good a friends with Doctor Jekyll as you say, he would have seen Hyde's face and thought, "Right, they're at least brothers, <laughs> cousins, something." There's a resemblance here, like you know. Yeah, yeah, true, true. So uh, he wouldn't. I mean, if you're that close to a person, you're not going to be like just because they got disease, like ah. Oh, yeah. You, you'd be suspecting something. You'd have some bit of a suspicion. Even fucking Mary Riley in her book said she had like a little bit of suspicion that they might oh, have yeah, been the yeah, same yeah. person at one yeah, time. Yeah. Like, you know? But I, I, to be honest, I think the medical explanations are out the door because of the fact that he was seen. You know, like Dr. Jekyll had been seen. But if we were to go with a medical explanation, I think syphilis works better. Okay. So, I mean, Mr. Hyde 
had been seen once or twice in Mrs. Rafferton's, I think it was, brothel at one stage. And Dr. Jekyll had also been known to frequent. But again, this again. is a very common thing back in there. It's called the world's oldest profession for a reason. I oh, mean, I'm not giving out about it. I'm just oh, saying no, I'm he just, could have picked up but that's it. Yeah, but yeah, it was yeah. a very common thing to pick up because there this was such a common thing for men to fucking do back oh, then. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. You know? So, I mean, that's another disease that can change your appearance, mental health and vocal cords within. So it can kind of range for about 1 to 20 years. So it breaks down your tissue, but it also adds tissue. So when I say it can drastically change your appearance, I mean it can it can yeah, like drastically. Yeah, remember yeah. we watched that um, Capone movie with um, Tom Hardy, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it was about his later life. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't it wasn't about his gangster time. It was about him with syphilis, and you see it like, mm-hmm. and, it, and that's the reason they were. I think one of the main reasons he was kind of released, and there was no more about him afterwards. It was yeah. because he he got to. They say when he was in Alcatraz, he caught it. He picked up the or he had syphilis yeah, when he yeah. Alcatraz. Yeah. But he wasn't getting um, properly treated for it in Alcatraz and it just got worse and worse and worse and it caused dementia and all this kind of shit. So with Capone, it broke down it broke down his tissue rather than built it up. Like it can work in a few ways, but he also had uh, neurosyphilis. So that can cause psychiatric disorders, including depression, mania, psychosis, personality changes, delirium and dementia. And my part of it now is that I literally one shot of penicillin and you're cured. Yeah? Yeah. It is 100% curable. Oh, uh, okay. Oh, yeah, I did know that. Sorry. I don't know why I said that. Yeah, that is if I was surprised. I know it wasn't curable back then. Back then, but is it not just, I mean, like one one injection but and you're, but now it can't undo, it, it become, still does yeah. damage, it can't reverse it. But well, even when uh, when they did kind of discover that it was treatable, the problem was a lot of guys would be too embarrassed to go in and say they had it or, you know, to get tested or checked for it. Like, oh, you know. yeah. Well, apparently your STI checking is supposed to be awful for men. I've never had to do it, thankfully. I, I've always been nice and good with that. I've heard I've, I've guys had a friend talk who about had to it. Do it yeah. Essentially, it is a uh, like a cotton, like an ear yep. fucking cleaning cotton bud, and it's right up the center. Uh, right no, I don't have one, I was but it told freaks me out. It was terrible. I again, thankfully. I presume it's much like a catheter. Huh? I have had to go through that though. That that was <laughs> shitty. Thankfully, I was asleep when that went in. Not asleep when it came out. I was very insistent. I was was awake. It's shitty. No, no. When they put it in, no, I wasn't. I was asleep. I was in the operating room when they put it in. But when I came out and I was like, because the worst part about it was it was like every time I moved any bit, I could feel it it pulling my penis. No, no, no. I don't think about it. I remember being so determined that, like, when your man came, I was like, this is coming out. No, I want this I'm taken going out. To pee. <laughs> oh, no, I told him, I was like, this is coming fucking out. Mm-hmm. And uh, they came down and said, fine, we'll take it out. And I was just like, just do it. Just do it. It was like, okay, one, two, three, cough. <laughs> and then, oh, no, no, out no, it came. No, 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 no. And uh, they threatened you with it later again, all right. They did, um, if I didn't, pee, <laughs> if I didn't pee, it was going in. Like, and eventually they gave me some volume, and I stood in that bathroom and I screamed at my penis until something came out. <laughs> did you just? Scream at it. I was just like, just come on, we can't let this happen again. <laughs> it's not going back in there. Just pee, anything, just a drop, just a drip, just so I can show her something's coming out. God, <laughs> I did it though. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously, uh, because the amount of time that's passed, this theory, I mean, like it can't be proven. There, there's no way to diagnose it. But modern experts believe that Jekyll may have had bipolar disorder. But then again, that doesn't explain the change in appearance. But people with bipolar disorder may be explosive and irritable during a mood episode. Extreme changes in energy, activity, sleep and behavior go along with these mood changes. Is there any chance that the height thing could have been um, 
him just slouching over. I was just about to say, so I mean, like, if you're depressed, I mean, like, your whole demeanor is going to be different, do you know? I mean, and then and kind of tying in with that and again with the letters then is kind of substance abuse. And that is very common among people with bipolar disorder. So I some- thought that when you said the thing about him uh, saying, I can, I can get rid of him at any time. It sounded like someone said, I can sounded stop like any time I want. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So some people with bipolar disorder try to treat their symptoms with alcohol or drugs. And because maybe... I mean, he was a doctor who was trying new things. Maybe this was something that he he, he knew there was something wrong with him. Maybe if I take some of this, I'll be fine. Maybe if I take some of that, I'll be fine and ended up getting himself hooked. So the substance abuse can also trigger or, prolo- or prolong bipolar symptoms. Okay. And in none of these cases, there is no evidence for he is just a crazy man that made a weird potion that turned him into a monster man. Well, that is the legend that grew up around it because all of those theories there have been put forward, but there is a loophole in each of those theories. And the only explanation that people could come up with back at the time is was the Looney that Tunes were the right. Looney Tunes. <laughs> that Dr. Jekyll was a man that made a magic potion. He went into his, uh, into his, in, into his lab, into his lab. He drank this, this potion that made him kind of, I mean, it, it, it did make him shorter and limp, but it made him a younger man. I, yeah. According to the to the legend. How long did it take for this story to actually happen and for Jekyll to be missing before they actually started making this monster story about it? Or is this something that just, this urban legend that just popped straight out of its Oh, away? it was in the Penny Dreadfuls by, by, by the end of the 19th century. So, I mean, like, with the Penny Dreadfuls, they were going to be embellishing the story. Oh, yeah. And then that that's how it grew. That's actually, uh, to be honest with you, that whole story is a lot more interesting than I thought it would be. Uh, again, my references are Nooney Tunes. <laughs> okay, so far. But uh, that, that was <laughs> a really interesting story. And some, you know, just interesting theories on what could have been wrong with him or what it could have been. Because, like you said, they, although they were both seen in mm. the same time, they were never seen together, together. at the same time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then the similarities in handwriting, the similarities in voice, the similarities, you know, the. the mm-hmm. And would Jekyll have been particular about who would have been left into his lab or that oh that yeah yeah like, so i mean like his students were left even in. in there like yeah his, his students were left in obviously when he was teaching but for somebody else to have a key and even then when you look at hyde's certainty that jekyll didn't but that sn- is the big thing that's what Michael i wanted right. to say to you earlier but i knew we had to go into it a, bit, a tiny bit more so but to absolutely fly off the handle to be like there's no way he fucking told you because yeah. I know he'd be like tell you fuck you, you, him, li- like, you, like, you liar like do you, do you know what I mean that is the biggest story to come out of it is that they were the same person and they were just the same I would say it's the only story that I can't find a loophole with and when I thought when I read it, you know, even when I saw the Looney Tunes stuff and all that, I always kind of considered it as more of a mental health story of a split personality kind of issue mm-hmm. and I mean there is a few cases that we will cover in the future like uh, oh what's that guy's name hang on one second but um where the split personality can change you so much that like you know you can become unrecognizable mm-hmm. you know and you can become a different a completely different person like you know uh the guy i am thinking of that we will cover eventually is kevin, kevin wendelcrum that's it he is the man we will be covering i would say also uh, no, that's patricia there's a few other n- other names isn't there yeah, yeah oh yeah yeah hang on we'll see if there are also he has a patricia uh, um alter ego uh, is there a kev a dennis allegedly 24 the, different personalities the beast being the scariest one mm-hmm. barry oh hold on kevin wendell chrome dennis patricia hedwig barry orwell jade the beast uh kevin lives with dissociative in identity disorder did which i talk about on 
Mini Monsters a couple mm-hmm. of episodes back. Uh, he has 23 distinct personalities. The 21st personality, the beast manifests as an insatiable cannibal with superhuman capabilities. We will talk about that eventually because there's this really interesting story it links into about this, again, this folly you do mm-hmm. stuff that we keep falling back on mm-hmm. that these two men fell into where one convinced the other he was a superhero. And in the vein of Batman and the Joker, they taught to bring the superhero powers out of him. He needed to be his ultimate nemesis. And this is a real life thing that happened. And they uh, had their little battle. But this kind of led to this man believing he was a superhero and going to fight Kevin Wendell Crumb, who thought he was a beast at the time. So it's a really cool story. We will probably get into it sometime next yeah. year. And we are working on stuff already for next year. We're catching, like I said, we're catching up. This episode is probably going to go up a little late, but mm-hmm. I nearly, I will have the script for next week's episode, which should go up Wednesday or Thursday already in the next couple of hours. Of this? Oh, yeah. And we will yeah. be returning to our roots, as I keep saying. But I am going to stop announcing what <laughs> subjects <laughs> we are covering because I keep getting to the point of like, I'm like, we're going to cover this subject next week. And then I start researching the subject and realize, oh, oh this needs more time. I need something shorter. <laughs> and yeah. I fall back and push that episode that. on to somewhere else to another time. Like, you know, because we do. Don't commit. <laughs> no, I'm ahead of myself now. I, yeah. I like scriptoid. I mean, I'm already researching the, our first uh, episode of our first two episodes hopefully of uh 2024 and it was a lot more interesting twisty and turny than i expected it to be yeah so that would be fun uh but yeah i will not be telling people what we're covering anymore so it'd be a surprise if we were going to get there because mm. we've been talking about doing this for big. fucking weeks <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then we got mixed up with that whole scream reboot and mm-hmm. yeah i'm mm-hmm. still got one or two bits to do but we're doing okay okay in there um so that's it for this week We've covered Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. We'll go back to our future away from Victorian times. Yes. And next week, like I said, we're back there. Well, we might as well say it. I had the script written for that. Yeah, one. yeah. We're heading back to Woodsboro. Yeah. And the year <laughs> with some gold fates. And then the week after, probably be some more Christmas fun. Okay, I was Not like, why, why are you doing that? Why? Like, <laughs> it's just going to be Christmassy fun before we finish up for the holidays. Okay. So until next week, I'm Dr. Harley Ray Smokenstein, THC. And she's the sexy Amy Rose who doesn't have any script in front of her, so she can't see her lines. It's okay. You never gave it to me. <laughs> you wrote the script this week, lady. So I have a script in front of me. <laughs> it's alive, alive, all the guts and gore, none of the guilt. See you next week. Same alive, alive time, same horror channel. Love you. Bye bye. Kaylee. <laughs>